Hi there. Welcome to today's episode of Financial Fofu. Your episode is ready for your keen ears to listen to. However, we did have some technical difficulties when recording this episode. The information was just too good to share with you and our special guest is amazing, but we apologize in advance for any pops, crackles or delays that you might hear on the on the podcast as it plays through your speakers. It's great information and I can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome everybody to another episode of Financial Fofu. I'm Sarah Eiferman. And I'm Trudy Cowan. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Amanda Weir of Baybury and Weir. Now, Amanda is a solicitor. Uh, Amanda, would you like to give a little bit of a background, a bit of history for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, I started Baybury and Weir four years ago. Um, we specialise in commercial law and property law. So um, under that wing of, I guess, a, a bit of property law and commercial law, we also do some stuff around finances and mortgages and refinancing and um, and property separation. Um, so today's topic, yeah. if you haven't worked it out already, is we are talking about divorce how to get divorced and and separate your finances or your um your property settlement as it's as it's termed you know legally um and today we want to let listeners know how they can go about this process it was one of our requested topics as well it came up on our social media people were asking for it so Trudy's going to kick off with some of the questions we have to get going and yeah let's try and get it across as much as we can so I I guess to start with you know, we just, you know, marriage inevitably, you know, it involves a mingling of your finances mm-hmm. um, and your personal mm-hmm. lives as well. So what actually happens when you get divorced? How, how do we how do we do it? What does it all mean? Um, well, I guess we have got two processes. We've got um, the divorce, which is really just the ending of the marriage from a legal perspective, the legal contract of marriage. Um, and then we have what do we do with all yeah. that stuff? our money, our debt, our assets, all that sort of stuff. So I guess that's really the crux of it. It's just those two And can processes. you do one without the other or are they both sort of necessarily mingled together? No, 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 you can do both separately. Um, I mean, you can stay married forever if you don't want to get married again. Um, from a, <laughs> Interesting. From a legal perspective, yeah, from a legal perspective. But um, you can't get divorced until you've been separated for 12 months. Um, so that's the, the first bit, that's, I guess. That's the and law though, right? That's, yeah. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, that's the legal ending of the marriage. Um, in terms of your property settlement, you can do that straight away. And typically we try to do that as quickly as we can. I suppose um, it's important, yeah. you know, considering we just talked about the legality, marriage is a contract. Sometimes people yeah. don't realise that it's a contract. So the reason that that clause or, you know, requirement is in place is because that's what's stipulated under the contract law of being married, right? Yeah, very interesting. I often have a lot of clients over the years have come to me and they have no idea how to get divorced and ending up in being their their mortgage or finance broker. I'm their first port of call um, if they've got a common Mm. asset being a house with a mortgage. So I've I've often dealt with a lot of these divorces and walk clients through, but I thought it was really great to get your perspective of, uh, you know, as how do we move forward. Uh, This... What's the right word? The smartest way or the less stressful way? Because um, it, it's such yeah. an emotive experience and can be really quite painful and stressful for people. So we're trying to give them the the easiest way to do it with the least stress, which might not be possible, <laughs> but sometimes. Oh, look, that's always our approach. Let's try and do this as amicably as we can. And I think from that perspective, 
that's sort of why it's an ideal opportunity or it's a good idea to get a lawyer involved because the lawyer doesn't have an emotional attachment to the to the relationship um or to the things that we're trying to split up and do you typically involve each part recommend each party has their own lawyer or would you deal with both parties or does it just sort of depend on how amicable the the parties are yeah it totally depends on how amicable it is um, and managing that process because it may start out amicable mm. and then down the track it's not quite so so great. Um, so where it's amicable, we can do what we call consent orders and in that instance we can work with both parties um, together and it's a really collaborative process and if there's no children involved, it can be that way all yeah. the way through yeah. to the end. If there's children involved, then um, we absolutely recommend independent Yeah, it's right. a bit messy when there's kids involved typically. Very, yeah. Okay, so what's the first thing that you would need to do? Uh, The first thing you should do, if we're talking about property Yeah, let's start there. um, And and I guess it's really important to to separate that divorce and settlement aspect of it because generally people say, I'm getting divorced. They're actually just talking about the property Mm. settlement. Um, So the first thing you need to do, we work out is what have you got? Um, So that's called the asset pool or the marriage pool. Um, We look at all of the assets of the relationship and we look at all of the liabilities and then have a look at that net position. Um, And then what we start to look at, and we go through the same process as we know the court's going to do. So we'll look at, well, who contributed... um, directly to that Um, and so that's things like your salary and your wage Mm. that type of thing Um, your indirect financial contributions so gifts and inheritances that you might have brought in from families um, either at the beginning of the relationship or during the relationship then we'll look at non-financial contributions to the marriage or the de facto so um, caring for the children homemaking those types of things that we don't get yeah repairs and maintenance around a property is another one yeah Yeah, renovations yep all that sort of stuff yep Um, so we look at those and we also look at um, the future requirements so the court's always going to look at the age of the parties their health their financial resources are they going to have to continue to dedicate time to caring for the children um, what is their ability to earn unfortunately you know t- these days men still have a greater capacity to earn money um, g- going forward so the court will look at that as well and, and your ability to provide for yourself and anyone else what well, one asset i find a lot of my clients don't realize is an asset is there is their super is it pretty common these days that the oh, super absolutely. just gets split evenly or always involved as one of the assets in the calculations yeah, it's, it's always involved yeah. in the calculations, always. It's definitely an asset of the relationship. Um, we will look at how much super each part, depending on the, the length of the relationship, mm-hmm. we'll look at how much super you brought in or had when you, when you came together and then how much you've earned during the period. Typically what we're doing is trying to ascertain, okay, are we going for a 50-50 split here? Are we going for a 70-30, 60-40? That's the first thing we want to work out. Mm, yeah. Then we work out, okay, well, how are we going to achieve that? Now, some people may choose that, you know, depending on how many properties they have and what other assets they have, that, you know, we'll say, well, we want a bigger component of that 60% to be cash and we'll take less super. So we just kind of manipulate all the assets around till everybody's sort of as happy as can be. Yeah, I I suppose depending on circumstances and unique positions um, and also depending on super schemes, I would think as well. Yeah. The other big factor that plays in super is um, particularly for women um, where, where they have had children. Yeah. Um, there's been, I know when I had children, I stopped working for 15 years. Yeah. So that's 15 years that I didn't earn any super. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. So we need to look at that. Yeah. That's really important. 
But yeah, so we're really just trying to come out with the net position and how are we going to construct that net position, whether it's, you know, 60, 40, 50, 50, whatever it is. Okay. So often one of the questions I get is, should I keep paying the mortgage? And it's, it's okay when it's amicable, but when it's not an- mm. amicable, you know, that uh, financial expense can be left to one party to compensate off for the total debt that they were potentially sharing. And mm. I always advise because it affects their ability moving forward where possible for their credit rating to keep paying it. Would you, ag- yep. would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, 100%. Our, our advice generally, and this is all very general advice, yes, but our, yeah. advice, our advice generally is for to maintain the status quo as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and that does come back to how amicabilities. But, yeah, maintain the status quo. Pay the bills the way you always, the way you always have. Um, pay the mortgage the way you always have. And it's much easier then for us to factor that stuff in when we're trying to get to that end position. Yeah, and it has much less impact on future yeah. outcomes and, you know, your credit rating, your ability to borrow, to even keep the asset then depending on the circumstances mm. too. Um, I think the, the interesting thing for me is a lot of people don't understand the process of how you transfer an asset. Can you talk some of our listeners through what's the process? You know, we can have a property settlement, but when do mm-hmm. they then... When does the title get transferred? How does that occur? What has to happen before that to allow the actual finalisation of that property settlement? Sure. So we're talking about the uh, mortgage um, houses in particular? Mainly, yeah. Let's talk about mainly property, yeah. Yeah. So depending on which process we choose to use with the court, which will be depending on your circumstances, whether we just go with a binding financial agreement um, Mm -hmm. or we go with consent orders or we actually have a full order of the court, once that order is made, the way we draft those, there'll be typically a 28-day period. So from 28, day, 28 days from the date of the order, each party has that period of time to do certain things. And that is if they need to, to refinance, to be able to take the property um, or to obtain finance to pay the other party out. Um, and once we get to that position where the mortgage is ready to go, their loan's ready to go, pay out everything happens pretty much simultaneously so within conveyancing in victoria now even when we do a straight refinance um everything happens instantly the money changes hands and the title changes hands at exactly the same time yeah okay so when i've worked with clients i've always said go speak to your solicitor work out what you're doing in terms of your property settlement once you know or have a rough indication of what that looks like come back to me and if you're keeping the asset that's when we do the application for the finance from that point of view Mm -hmm. and then it sits there awaiting those consent orders uh that's correct to then go back for formal approval documents and once they're signed you've got 28 days so you really need to have the whole process Mm -hmm. ready to go like you said before you you lodge with the court um from from that side of you or signing which which one is better the lodgement or the signing in terms of well once we lodge, we work with the brokers pretty closely. So we let a broker know once we've lodged the orders in the court. The court can take anywhere between four to ten weeks yeah, to stand orders to approve orders. Yeah. So and and for some banks, when you, I mean, you know, guys, with some banks, your pre-approval or whatever will expire in that time. Sure will. So we always say, don't put the application in for the into the bank just yet. Um, this is the window. We keep up to date, uh, checking with the court to see where they're at. Um, but yes, have it ready to go. Yes, 
typically you want your mortgage broker talking to your solicitor absolutely um, so we can keep track of where things are at so we've got a few at the moment where we've lodged in the court we're just they consent orders they should go straight through um and the bank and the broker are just sitting there waiting some banks as you know sarah will um sometimes we can get the mortgage formally approved and yeah. going yeah with, without without the bank without the orders being stamped so whereas yeah so without some stamped orders the bank will allow you to orders. go to document stage depending on the lender yeah 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 just circumstances yeah. right yeah and that's yeah. why using yeah. experts in the in the field that's right um is is really good and we always say if you don't want to use us, that's cool. But ask us for a referral to someone that we know and trust. As as you know well, Amanda, there's been multiple times where we've, we've sent you clients and you're not able to help that client for whatever reason and you refer on to your sphere of influence and your knowledge mm. base. The same thing applies in, the, in this instance. Yeah. So, Trudy, what else have we got? Well, we have a lot of clients that mm. also run their own businesses. So do things start to get a little bit more difficult when there's a business mm. involved? yeah totally (laughs) totally and i guess that's where the the business is an asset of the of the relationship of the marriage or the de facto so yes that comes into and i guess that's where our commercial expertise helps us out um we're running a business we know how to run businesses that's what we do and yeah and what about if they're trading through say a discretionary trust because technically you know there's a choice about Mm. whether each of those you know people actually you know has an, an income entitlement so do you sort of look at who has control over that business yeah. and sort of look through the structure to some extent? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we always look through the structure. Absolutely. We'll look at the history, if it is a trust, um, the history of how um, assets mm-hmm. of that business distributed in the past, um, anything that we can find that um, indicates intention yeah. going forward. Who wants the business? Typically, there'll be one person yeah. who does not want the business. Yeah, so so we're always looking at that. Who wants it? Who doesn't want it? What's it worth? Um, you know, and we're looking at if we need to, with full disclosure required. Not always; it's not mandatory, but we, but it can be required. With a settlement, um, the court can require full disclosure of your financials, and that includes any businesses. Um, yeah. So we will, if we need be, we will go through that stuff with a fine tooth comb, and yeah. as commercial lawyers we can tell whether those financials are legit really yeah and i presume you get the accountants involved yeah at that point in time yeah as well. and look at the extreme end of the scale i guess we can look at forensic accounting if we're if yeah. we're convinced that there's money that we don't know about then we'll do that yeah yeah. Then there's an entitlement to that. Yep. Yep. I suppose that leads into one of the questions that I had on my list then uh, about prenup agreements mm. or as we call them here, binding financial agreements. Yep. And are they worth anything? Is it worth having? Should people be doing it? I've always said to clients that are coming together that aren't necessarily de facto and buying a house together that they should be looking at putting in writing at the start of their relationship, yep. how they'll get out of their relationship if anything goes sour because it takes a lot of that emotional uh, stress out of the circumstances if they've sort of already confirmed that. Mm. But legally, what do they mean? Okay, I guess the first thing I would say about that is that from my perspective, they're like an insurance policy. Um, They're a bit like a will. Um, and once it's written down, at least someone can see your intentions and it just gives you some peace of mind. Um, yeah. They're now called financial agreements, not binding financial okay. agreements. It's cool. changed again. But, yeah, most people call them a prenup. Um, yeah. And I highly, highly recommend them. Um, they are binding 
if they are drafted well, um, they are binding if they're very clear and they're very specific. And okay. um, and both parties need to get independent legal advice on those agreements, um, and then yep. we have them stamped by the courts. They okay, they, okay. They can, so it's a very formal process. Then. Yeah, we can do informal. Um, and if you've got an informal one, really, the support that gives you is that if you do end up in a dispute, um, you've at least got a document which indicates to the court that both parties thought about these things, and we talked about it, and we all we went to the to the length of getting it reduced into writing, um, yeah. and that's that's pretty helpful. <laughs> the only yeah. the only time it's not going to be helpful, and they're really overturned very easily by the court is where the parties don't get independent legal advice. Interesting. Okay. So that's really the, you know, what binds it. Yeah, because that's where mm. if somebody hasn't had independent advice, it's much easier for them to argue undue influence mm. or um, mm. or that they did that under pressure or, you know, yep. I felt like if I didn't sign yep. that, he was going to leave me, that type of thing. Yeah, emo- emotional, uh, yeah. yeah, not necessarily abuse, but yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah blackout yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, the um, the Royal Commission brought in the code on co-borrowing in the same way. Like, we have to ensure that there's no form of emotional financial abuse as it's defined in that code. Yeah. But um, it, it's sort of similar in the sense of was there any coercion mm-hmm. into into signing a document or going on, on a debt in the same way? Was there any co- coercion into signing the financial agreement? Yeah, it's exactly the same as when we give... Um, advice to personal guarantors on mortgages often these days parents are guaranteeing mortgages for their children and (laughs) that's one of the things we talk about and that interview that we do must take place without the mortgagee being or the mortgagee sorry being present yeah for that very reason yeah the primary borrowers for that exact reason absolutely i'm glad you raised that too so i have one last question and that's sort of about cost. And I know that, you know, how long's a piece of string with this sort of stuff? <laughs> but uh, you can imagine that's probably one of the reasons people don't pick up the phone yeah. um, and, and seek the advice. How, how does it work in terms of a cost structure? And is there a, a disclosure that's required by a solicitor as to how that all works? Can you run us through that? Sure. And I guess I can really only talk about how I do this, how we do it yeah. our, in my practice. Um if I've got a couple that comes to me and it looks amicable, and I use a bit of judgment here, I talk to them both, everything happens, the three of us talking together, and then um, I don't take money in trust. Um, I give them a cost disclosure, a full cost disclosure. Both parties must sign it. Um, we are now required, or we have for some years been required to give an exact amount. We can't give a window. So I can't yeah. say it's going to cost between 3000 and 15000 I have to give a number. And as we approach that number, if I think we're not going to come in under that, then mm. I need to disclose, mm. okay, the costs are getting up. This is what we're looking at. Yeah. It's very yeah. difficult because most... I should say, a lot of couples come to us and say, it's all amicable, it's great. And then you start talking to them and within a month, it's it's not. It's not. No, and Mm. that can triple or quadruple the costs. The actual filing costs in court are not that much. So the divorce itself is, I think, about $300. Um, Filing of consent orders where I've done a property settlement, the actual filing fee is only $170. So so if we can... You need to say that part again. If we can come to an agreement, we can do consent orders for under five grand. Interesting. Okay. 
that's probably a lot less than people think. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you hear the numbers, you know, it cost me $80,000 to get divorced. Yeah, and, yeah. absolutely. And it can, absolutely, it absolutely can. Um, but, but well, it, when the parties are in dispute, it's very easy for those costs yeah, to add up. Yeah, but it doesn't have to. No. Yeah, amazing. What about the financial agreement then, you know, the pre-relationship you know, yeah. for insurance policy that we sort of talked yeah, about. Yeah, sure. That you're looking, well, from us anyway, you're looking at about 3000 okay. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. But, I mean, realistically, if it solves you the stress and the heartache and the pain later on when it could be thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Um, it, it makes absolute yeah, sense to do so. Totally. Trini, do you have any other questions on your list for today? Or oh, the only the only last one I had was that I presume as part of all of this splitting up of the finances, things like child support and spousal maintenance mm-hmm. that all gets wrapped up and done at the same time. So yeah, child support is handled by Child Support Australia. Um, okay. It's a little bit separate, um, yep. but it is factored in. It certainly is reported to the court. So in the application, we have to disclose whether one party is paying child support to the other um that's mm-hmm. based on your tax return so your income yeah yeah so yeah. it's difficult if one of you is not doing your tax returns it's pretty hard mm. um yes so yeah. that's a separate thing to um property stuff okay yeah okay so with regards to that mm-hmm. my experience with clients has been it's all amicable everything's great mm. the property settlement goes through well and they think we'll just leave the custody stuff till later mm. and then circumstances change do you have a position on that from your experience they can certainly be done separately it's varies depending on the circumstances mm. um i do a lot of property settlement where the children are over 18 or they're yeah, older yeah. um and so it's not really as much of a, a factor um but i mean they may still be dependent at that yeah. age um but they can be done separately and sometimes doing the properties then if they if the couple is managing the children well it's not such a bad idea to leave that because let's take the heat out of the situation. Okay. Let's mm. um, keep the kids happy and keep working. Get us to a position where everyone's happy with the financial stuff and everyone's yep. cared for and then let's talk about the kids. Yeah, a bit more of a holistic than yeah. a transactional. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a totally nice. separate thing really. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Mm. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for today on this episode. Uh, you've been listening to Financial Fofu with Sarah Eiferman and Trudy Cowan. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Financial Fofu. We really appreciate you tuning in and hope that you have subscribed to our channel. I just wanted to let you all know that the information and material in our podcast and any supplementary and associated information available is for general purposes only. It should not be taken as constituting professional advice from us, the podcast owners and our special guests. And we recommend that you seek independent, suitable advice that is specific for your unique circumstances. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you next week. Please, please, please send us, um, use our link and send us any requests or any feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Cheers.